Medicine and Wilman. I'm your host, David, and today we're going to be serving up a baker's dozen of top documentaries we have screened over the years. Before we begin the countdown, I want to mention two housekeeping items. Number one, while trying to narrow down today's list, I made a decision to divide the documentaries into categories. This initial episode will be about <laughs> straight up documentaries, for lack of a better term, as opposed to music documentaries, sports documentaries, or documentaries about movies. If you and I stick around for the next few years, we'll do episodes in seasons three, four, and five covering our favorite music, sports, and movie documentaries. We hope you're here for all of those future episodes. Number two, I decided not to mention documentaries that I've already highlighted here in the cinema. So I will not be mentioning the many great Banksy documentaries out there. If you're a Banksy fan, see them all. I also won't go into more depth about an awesome triple feature dealing with amusement parks, Coney Island, Prater, and Class Action Park, since I've already told you about those. That is a beauty trifecta. Documentaries can be about absolutely anything and everything. They can be dark, funny, provocative, uplifting, disturbing, mysterious, and even profane as number eight on today's list will prove. We will begin with a sad story about a tragic event from 2009. The film is from 2011, and it's There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. In July of 2009, a suburban mother was killed along with seven others when the SUV she was driving the wrong way on the Taconic Parkway in New York struck another vehicle head-on at 85 miles an hour. The woman's daughter and three nieces were all killed, as were three men in the other vehicle. This film documents the tragedy in painful detail. Driver had high levels of alcohol and THC in her system, even though her husband, friends, and family members said she had no issues with alcohol or substance abuse and never used either to excess. The woman had been suffering from an abscessed tooth and may have been seeking relief from the pain by drinking or smoking marijuana, the combination of the two along with the over-the-counter pain meds that she was taking may have even caused a stroke. This is according to the husband. Most other accounts blame the driver and add this event to the list of tragic DUIs. This documentary stuck with me for a long time. Me talking about this film is one thing. Watching it and seeing the pictures of those kids is another thing altogether. This was rough, but very well done. Next is a bittersweet story of a great man who was taken from us too early as he was trying to make positive changes in both the government and the world. It's from 1984, and it's The Times of Harvey Milk. I mentioned the biopic Milk and Sean Penn's Oscar-winning performance in an earlier City Spotlight episode on San Francisco. When making a dramatic depiction of a person's life, filmmakers will always alter real events and embellish things a bit to add to the drama of the film. I think this is to be expected. That's totally fine. When you see documentaries based on the life of a person, you are theoretically getting the real deal of a story. And Harvey Milk's story was a positive and heroic story up to its tragic end. If you've heard of Harvey Milk but aren't sure why you've heard of Harvey Milk, this is a must-see. Maybe make it a double feature with Sean Penn in Milk. 
At number 11, it, I'm cheating a little bit because it's a trilogy of documentaries. It is known as the Paradise Lost Trilogy. The films were made in 1996, 2000, and 2011. This trio of documentaries centers around the West Memphis Three and the murders of three eight-year-old boys in 1993 in West Memphis, Arkansas. It is not by any means a cheerful or uplifting story. Three young children were savagely murdered. What makes this series of documentaries amazing is the courtroom drama and controversy surrounding the trial. Three teenage boys were arrested and put on trial. They were all found guilty and sentenced, one to death and the other two to life imprisonment. The trial was filled with arguments about the evidence found at and around the scene. Defense attorneys claimed that the defendants were scapegoats and easily blamed because of previous behaviors and brushes with the law. Celebrities and musicians, including Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam, came to the aid of the West Memphis Three and fought to keep the case alive in the hopes of freeing the trio, who they thought were not involved in the deaths of the three young boys. This is a fascinating look at our legal system and certainly makes you wonder how many innocent people are behind bars in our country. The outcome of the case, which which took almost 20 years, has always frustrated me. I am only mentioning the tip of the iceberg in this complicated case. Um, I will tell you that they spent 18 years in prison before being released. If you're if you're a fan of true crime stories, this trio of documentaries is a must-see. At number 10 on the list is from 1982, and it's Koyanasatsky. And this is a difficult film to explain, so I'll let IMDb take a shot at it. A collection of expertly photographed phenomena with no conventional plot. The footage focuses on nature, humanity, and the relationship between them. Well done, IMDb. Koyanasatsky is certainly difficult to explain. Along with there being no plot, there's also no dialogue. The soundtrack is beautifully done by Philip Glass, and it's a total match for the images we are seeing. Koyanasatsky is the Hopi word meaning life out of balance, and the way the visuals flow with Glass's score does keep you a bit off balance, but in a good way. This is a beautiful, trippy film that will have you thinking many thoughts, and that's not really a bad thing. Number nine on the list is from 2011. It's Hero Dreams of Sushi. Let's begin with the information from the trailer. This is quoted from the graphics on the trailer. At a tiny sushi bar in a Tokyo subway, Hero is renowned as the world's greatest sushi chef. Japan has declared him a national treasure. He is the first sushi chef to receive three Michelin stars. That's a tongue twister. But for Hero, the journey isn't over. Excellent job, trailer. This is a delightful movie about 85-year-old sushi chef Hiro, his son and successor, and his legacy. If you love food, especially sushi, this one is as delicious as... Insert your favorite sushi here. Uh, I don't eat this stuff. (laughs) At number eight is from 2005. Um, 
And it's the aristocrats. And when I mentioned in the opening that documentaries can be profane, I was referring to the aristocrats. This one is a lot. This entire documentary is about a joke. One joke. One very, very dirty joke. As the legend goes, comedian Gilbert Gottfried told a 9-11 joke to an audience at the Friars Club 18 days after the attacks. 18 days is not a very long time. When the joke did not go over well at all, (laughs) Gottfried kind of panicked and told a joke that has been an inside joke among comedians for generations. Gil Godfrey pulled back the curtain and told the epic joke, The Aristocrats, to a live audience. It is, without a doubt, the most vile and disgusting joke you will ever hear. And in this documentary made by Paul Provenza and Penn Gillette, you get to hear about a hundred versions of it. Yes, it's disgusting. Yes, it crosses all the lines, no matter where your lines are. And yes, it's hysterical when you see it told by people who tell stories and tell jokes for a living. Louis Black, George Carlin, Phyllis Diller, Penn and Teller, Bob Saget, Sarah Silverman, who I love, the Smothers Brothers, John Stewart, and so many others. Yes, Gil Gottfried is here. Tell their version of it. And it's like watching jazz musicians riffing. It's amazing to watch if you can sit through it. I bought the DVD because I knew of only a handful of people who would enjoy it and I could share it with. Make that less than a handful. I know people who hated this movie, and I get it. So many people walked out of it when it was shown in theaters that several theaters started to make the announcement that there would be no refunds. I certainly wouldn't recommend this to everyone, but I know some of you out there would get a kick out of it. Oh, and by the way, the joke is about a family that walks into a talent agency and performs their act for him. The punchline, after all of the vulgar and obscene things they do, comes when the talent agent asks them the name of the act. The reply, very simply, were the aristocrats. (laughs) It's just, oh, it's amazing. At number seven, and this isn't funny at all, from 2008, we're going back and forth there, um, the film is under our skin. Since documentaries are made about so many real subjects, chances are you'll run into some that are more important to you due to your life experience. Under our skin is about Lyme disease, and I've had Lyme disease twice. I guess I still have it. They say you always have it. The first time, I was sick for an entire summer. Spent most of it in bed with a fever, sometimes high, and aches and pains that wouldn't go away. I was misdiagnosed over and over. I saw the doctor more than a few times with no help. Later in that summer, a family friend who was a nurse noticed a mark on my arm and said, that's Lyme disease. You need to get that taken care of. I mean, I laugh about it now, but this was not a fun experience. And as it turns out, my experience was pretty minor compared to the stories of some of the people in this documentary. The frustrating part of it all is that when this was made in 2008, almost half of medical doctors didn't think there was even any such thing as Lyme disease. 
One doctor told the husband of a woman who was literally paralyzed and needed to be fed that she should be taken to a psychiatrist because, quote, there's nothing wrong with her. It's all in her head, end quote. Maybe this was only interesting to me because I've suffered from the disease, but I still think it deserves mention on this list. Number six from 1987 is The Way Things Go. Um, I can't think of this movie without thinking of my good friend Lini, who taught science on my team for many years at the CGS. This German film, original title, and we, Lini and I, we say this to each other, Der Dauf, Der Dinge, is a mesmerizing and magical 30-minute-long Rube Goldberg machine come to life. It was filmed in a large vacant warehouse and features all natural sound, no music, and no dialogue. There is, however, a lot of chemical reactions, smoke, fire, and explosions. And there are very few cuts in the 30 minutes, which is amazing. The structure is 100 feet long, and it's made out of common household, household, household sorry, items, including tea kettles, tires, old shoes, balloons, etc. I'm still very excited about this movie. <laughs> Add to that fire, water, gravity, and chemistry, and it's quite impressive. It was great fun watching this with my classes since parts of it were quite suspenseful. We were constantly trying to figure out what was going to happen next and when it would happen. Number five on our list today is from 2008 and it is Man on Wire. When I finally narrowed down this list to my baker's dozen uh, of six over 600 documentaries that I've seen and my uh, recommendation rate or thumbs up rate or like rate, whatever you want to call it, is overwhelmingly high because I think I know what I'm interested in and I know what I want to watch a documentary about. And you should all fit into that same category, actually. Um, so when I narrowed the list all the way down, uh, I noticed that I, 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 I owned a lot of these films as I'm holding up the, the DVDs. Um, and it's back from in the day when I bought an awful lot of DVDs. And I actually owned six of the 13, including Man on Wire. When I reread the back of the box, I thought I'd just share that with you instead of giving you my two senses. It's pretty much what I was going to try to say anyway. This is from the back of the DVD case. On August 7th, 1974, a young Frenchman named Philippe Petit stepped out on a wire illegally rigged between the New York World Trade Center's Twin Towers. After dancing for nearly an hour on the wire, he was arrested, taken for psychological evaluation, and brought to jail before he was finally released. This extraordinary documentary incorporates Petit's personal footage to show how he overcame seemingly insurmountable challenges to achieve the artistic crime of the century. As a native New Yorker, it was fun seeing 1974 New York on film in all of its dirty glory. And it was obviously bittersweet seeing the Twin Towers when they were only a year old. As a person who suffers from acrophobia, parts of this were extremely hard to watch. Petit is quite a character, and to see him tell the tale of this thrilling day is great fun. And the back of the box wasn't lying. He was dancing up there on that wire over 1,300 feet above the ground. Next, from 2006, number four on our list is The Bridge. 
This is another powerful documentary dealing with a difficult subject. The Bridge deals with suicide, in particular those that were carried out at the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Sad to say that the Golden Gate Bridge is one of the most popular suicide spots in the world. It is number one in the United States and second in the world to the Aokagahara Forest in Japan. Not a ranking you'd like to be included on. During the filming of this documentary, there were 24 Golden Gate suicides. What I enjoyed about this documentary is how it focused on mental health and suicide prevention. The interviews with the victims' families are painful to watch, but this film was looking for answers while being compassionate to those involved. Due in part to this film, bridge patrols were ramped up to help intervene in possible attempts and Suicide deterrent nets began being installed in 2018 at the bridge and should be completed this year. When I did a Google search to see if the nets had been installed, the first thing that popped up was the 988 number and a help is available message. That was good to see since it's true. Help is always available. Number three on our list today is from 2004. And it's Super Size Me. This is another film that reminds me of my teaching days because after its release in 2004, I talked about it and showed segments of it to every class I had after that. You may not think it by looking at me, but I do not eat fast food. I have in the past. I lived in Warren Towers at Boston University, and across the street was a Burger King And every night, I I believe it was at 11 o'clock, it could have been at midnight, there were, what was it, two Whoppers for a dollar or something grotesque like that. And um, yeah, we were there every night. Um, So I have fast food in my history, but I just don't do it anymore. I actually had a 15-year non-fast food streak broken on my birthday a few years ago by a student who had her dad drop off a Big Mac, large fries, and vanilla shake for me after hearing my story. And you could tell how touched I was by the gesture. And and I was. Um, I ate all of it, and I suffered the consequences. (laughs) Super Size Me is a cautionary documentary that is also very funny about the evils of fast food and its effects on our bodies. Filmmaker Morgan Spurlock put himself through a McDonald's-only diet for 30 straight days, and this documents it in graphic detail, including a scene in which he vomits. There is even vomiting in documentaries. Spurlock's rule was that he could only ingest anything that was sold at a McDonald's, so there was no pain relief in sight for him when he didn't feel well. He also had to automatically say yes anytime he was asked if he'd like his order supersized, and that caused a lot of difficulty on its own, as you would imagine. The sizes of those supersized orders were, it was way too much for any one person to ingest in one sitting. Spurlock's spleen and liver were negatively affected. His doctors pleaded with him to stop. He gained over 24 pounds in the month, and he ingested over 7 pounds of sugar. That's how much sugar is in McDonald's food. The most fascinating part of this documentary was included in the bonus features. 
Spurlock took the following and placed them in glass cookie jars in his office. A McDonald's quarter pounder, McDonald's cheeseburger, McDonald's filet of fish, McDonald's fries, a restaurant hamburger, and an order of restaurant fries. After a week, the restaurant food was well on its way to decomposition, breaking down and getting moldy and nasty. The McDonald's food looked brand new after a week. And after two weeks, and after three weeks, and after a month, really. There's a reason for that, and it has to do with organic matter versus preservatives. I'm not going to say that fast food in any amount is bad, but it's definitely poison when eaten as a matter of course. You can't eat this stuff regularly and be healthy. So try to limit that. With all of your vices... Add it to your vice list and not your normal list. Number two on our list is the endurance from the year 2000. I took Dakota to see this. I think it was in the Museum of Science in the IMAX theater. And it um, it kind of proved a couple of things to me, how amazing the story was and how um, IMAX theaters give me the heebie-jeebies. The Endurance tells the harrowing story of Sir Ernest Shackleton's 1914 expedition to be the first to cross the Antarctic continent. Shackleton's ship, the Endurance, becomes beset in the ice off the coast of Antarctica and it is eventually crushed. Shackleton and his crew survived for 635 days and nights without proper shelter or rations in extremely harsh conditions. After about 16 months, Shackleton leaves in a small boat with a few crew members to get help and tells his crew he'll be back. He returned with help 128 days later, and not one member of his crew was surprised. To paraphrase a crew member, (laughs) he told us he'd be back to save us. We knew he'd be back to save us. This is an unbelievable story of courage and leadership. And Sir Ernest Shackleton belongs on the Mount Rushmore of leadership. The head next to him would be that of Marc Messier, of course, the greatest and only real captain in sports history. I've been waiting for a dramatic movie to be made about this expedition for a long time. Nothing yet. I also wished for the story of the USS Indianapolis on the big screen, and when I finally got it, it starred Nick Cage, and I never watched it. Be careful for what you wish for, I guess. And that leaves us with the number one ranked documentary here, according to Cinema Wellman, and that's from 2016, and it is titled 13th. I wish I could say... Uh, that I also showed this important documentary to my classes after its release in 2016, but I would never have been allowed to do so. School administration in my building was so lacking that I would have been reprimanded or worse for screening this for my eighth graders, even though it was a truthful film that they should definitely see. It did not prevent me from talking about it a lot. 13th is, according to IMDb, an in-depth look at the prison system in the United States and how it reveals the nation's history of racial inequality. Filmmaker Ava DuVernay's unflinching look at our country's systematic racism and his pivot 
from slavery to prison, inmate forced to labor, is tremendous, and it should be shown in high schools across the country. It's an amazing story of injustice, inequality, racism, and frustration about how it still exists in America. Documentaries don't always make you smile, but the great ones always make you think. Well, that's a wrap for our Baker's Dozen of Top Docs here at Cinema Wellman. We hope you join us next week when our City Spotlight series shines on our first international cinematic city as we present City Spotlight Paris. Hope to see you in Paris, and until then, take care.